about you, but that gives me every year. I'm playing. I'm not crying. I got something in my eye. Hey, good morning and welcome to Shelby Christian Church. And how awesome is it that we're a community of changed lives from the very beginning, that small, that innocent, that fragile, to when the Lord comes and calls our name and we're laid down and going to meet him face to face. The church is there no matter what, any part of the phase of life, we're there. When I was younger, of course, for those who know me, I grew up on a dairy farm. So if dad was at a track meet, it was huge because that very rarely happened because cows always had to be milked, hay always had to be bailed, and corn always had to be planted. So if my dad could be there, it was huge for me. And my dad, when he would show up, he'd come out, arms out, hey boy, I'm here, let's go. It was like, it just set the tone for things to come. So can we stand up before we worship? Can you put your arms out? Can you say, hey, I'm here, you're here. This is going to be how we start our Sunday. We're glad you're here. surrounds me 
Just one word, the dark disaster tree. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes will open to see. My can't help but believe. There's nothing that I God can do. There's not a mountain that He can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way.
head down just a little bit more? Please. Let's hold them if you can. get there can you all imagine if we have all 32 we had originally signed up before COVID I think we didn't need another stage so as you all can tell baby dedication 2020 this group signed up in February it was our largest group ever We've lost quite a few due to COVID. Some are going to join us in our next spring. They didn't feel comfortable coming today. So we uh, luckily have enough stage for these guys. So last night, this group of families came with us, and we got to celebrate something really awesome. We had a private dedication ceremony with all the families and their guests. We talked about values, marriage, upbringing, It was a great evening, and it's our wonderful privilege today to have you all involved participate in the public dedication of these children. So, we start from one end to the other. We're going to stick with the kids' names because we have lots of people here. So, we've got Lorenzo Aguiar, Waylon Edwards, Grace Anderson, Bentley Hundley, Amelia Pierre, Maisie Burke, Kobe, (sighs) you knew somebody was going to do it. And then we have the Hughes. We've got a few of those, Haley, Garrison, and Ruby, the triplets as they're known around here. And we've got Caleb Tap. Caleb will have to come back and do this in the spring again because he's going to have a little sister. Woo. All right. Then we've got Roslyn Law and Loxon Craig. And then last but not least, Tyler Lucan. So how about that awesome group of kids? All right. They're almost as nervous as I am. So in Psalms 127.3, which proclaims, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Children are a gift from God. As believers, we are called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to God. God in his goodness gives children as gifts to parents. They not only have the responsibility of caring for these gifts, but also the wonderful privilege of enjoying the gift. Because children belong to God and are given by grace as gifts to parents, it is only proper and appropriate that children are dedicated back to God. In 1 Samuel, Hannah presented her son Samuel to the Lord. In Luke, we read that Mary and Joseph brought their baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem in order to present him before the Lord. In this same way, these parents come today, presenting themselves and their children before the Lord. Parents, I'm going to read what we read last night, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Parents, we are told here to love God 
with every ounce of fiber of your energy and teach your children to do the same. As you love God and each other, you will model before your children a wonderful love for God that he or she will want for themselves. Now, we're in, entering this time of commitment, and I'm going to ask, ask you questions, and I will say, if so, and you all will say, we do. And then you respond after the question. So, parents, by coming forward before God and his people, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and your children to the Lord? I ask now that you enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his people so that your child may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers. Do you vow by God's help and in partnership with his church to provide your children a Christian home of love and peace, to raise him in truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage him to one day trust Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord? Besides the parents, there's another great agent of influence here today, the church body. This is for you all. As the church body, we're asking you to, to assist in this. So that these children may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you, as a church body, vow by God's help to be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ, to help these parents be faithful to God, and to help teach and train the children in ways of the Lord, so that they might one day trust Him as Savior and Lord. Due to these commitments on the authority of God's word and as the minister of his church, I dedicate these children unto the Lord and unto his service according to his will. Let us pray real quick together. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these families. Thank you for bringing them here to dedicate their lives to you. We ask that you put a shield over them to protect them. Give them wisdom and the grace to raise them as Christians. In your name, amen. completely transparent. Usually I get up here and I have no idea what I'm going to say. And so far it's kind of worked its way and, it, and it'll have a message with it and it kind of works together with what communion is. And this morning I was driving in, kind of relying on the spirit again, like, all right, it's your time to shine. Say something, do something, help me out with this. Nothing came to mind at all. I was like, well, that's great. Like, what am I going to do? And then it hit me that right now more than ever, we need consistency. That's the 
that's the obstacle with coming up here and presenting communion and encouraging you to take part in it. It's always the same thing. And so it's like, well, we've heard that. We've done that. But that consistency, more than ever, we need that consistency. More than ever, it's consistent. Ethan's going to have great hair. It's consistent that when Dave gets to the bottom line, man, when he's bringing the message home, that's what we're going to hear. Final answer? It's a consistent, at the 10 o'clock service, Steve Howard, who's a runner, I'm a runner, he's going to bring it up. Hey, brother, how many miles did you run yesterday? It's a consistent in the first hour. Terry and his wife, Miss Orange, they're going to be in that corner praying constantly. It's a consistent that Matt every single week at least once is going to remind me, man, we get to work for God. In a time of upside-down worlds, anger, frustration, questions, uncertainty, it is the certain, the consistency of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, and for the rest of eternity. What I did on the cross then matters more now than ever before. That is a consistency we have got to take in. We've got to have. And we need to receive that blessing each and every Sunday that we are able to partake. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray. The band will start up. We've got tables. We've got black boxes around. Take part in this consistency that is offered to us each and every day, each and every moment for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a world that's upside down, that's confused, that's uncertain, you are our foundation. No matter what life throws at us, no matter what we are going through, there's a guarantee through your love, there's a guarantee through your son and the sacrifice he made for us. May we never forget this. May we find the joy and the consistency that it brings each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.
Man, I'm glad to see you guys here today. It's almost like we had something special going on. Man, put kids on stage. We can draw a crowd. I'm glad you guys are here. If you're watching online, uh, I'd love for you to just let us know where you're at and who's watching with you. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. For some of you guys, uh, this is your first time back uh, in worship since March. Uh, we're really glad you guys are back. Thanks. For, thanks. For, every week we got new people. That's awesome. So, man, we're glad you guys are here. Before we dig into the message, I got a couple announcements really quick for you. All right. One of the cool things that happened uh, during the pandemic was we figured out how to really kind of like overnight uh, explode our online campus and go to like five different platforms uh, that people are watching on. And so then we got together last week, just last Sunday afternoon, our online campus vision team uh, got together and met. And like within 24 hours, these guys are incredible. Within 24 hours, the one of the things we talked about was, okay, how, how else can we go electronic? What else can we do? And we said, well, you know, podcasts are big. People like to listen to podcasts when they're driving to work and stuff like that. How can we do podcasts? And like in 24 hours, we were on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. Now we're on Google Play, and I think they told me something else this morning. So if you like to download podcasts, listen when you drive to work, uh, just go on any of those platforms, check out our website, check out our e-news, and tells you how to find them. You can download them. And right now they've got like three months worth of the entire service, the music and the preaching. We're going to be adding like special teaching times. We're going to figure out how to do pathways, all those things that we do. Uh, we're going to figure out how to do that way. So I'm really excited about that. Really excited about that. I'm also excited. One of the things that we had these four vision teams uh, at the beginning of the year just that we were going to do, and then the pandemic hit, and it's like, oh, wow, we didn't see that coming. Uh, one of the vision teams was about the online campus and how to expand that. And we, Okay, I just told you about that. Uh, another one was about how to build stronger marriages, and, our, and that team's gotten together, and we've already had, already had two or three events, and right now, uh, the very first training for our marriage mentors is going on back in the Pathways room, and there's some couples uh, that are going to be marriage mentors or are getting trained for that, and so that's really cool. And, and this is exciting. One of, our, one of our teams was about our Hispanic ministry. Because for like 10 years, we've been really trying to figure out how we could do something better uh, to reach our Hispanic community here in Shelby County. And so I am honored. I'm, I'm so pumped up to let you guys know that five weeks from today, five weeks from today on November 1st, during this hour at 1130 over in the stew, we'll be launching our very first Hispanic service uh, and it will be permanent part of our 1130 service over there. Uh, if you noticed, if you were here a few weeks ago when we uh, ordained our new deacons, one of them was a guy named Sebastian. And I don't know if you noticed, but he's Hispanic. He was born and raised in Chile. He's completely bilingual, and so he's going to be the leader of that ministry. Uh, we got some other folks that are helping out with that. And so if you know somebody that would benefit, someone maybe that's in our community, uh, from a Hispanic Latino background that is not bilingual and so that would struggle in a English speaking service. This service is just for them. And so it'll start November 1st, 1130 in the stew. And we'll be telling you more about that each week, but we want to let you guys know about that today. So I am pumped, pumped, pumped about another way to reach people for Jesus. 
Uh, and it's exciting to me because I also know that in addition now, in addition to our three regular Sunday morning services, uh, we've got uh, kids programming launching. The, today was the last day of the family service other than on special occasions because next Sunday we're going back to regular children's programming at the 10 o'clock hour as, long, as well as 1130. At 10 o'clock, Juan is sitting back there, leads our middle school uh, service. Uh, at 11.30, now we'll have the Hispanic service. At 6.30 on Sunday night, our senior high and college kids can come back. And it's an incredible worship service. They had 75 there last week uh, for that service. Then on Wednesday night, the middle school have their worship service at 6.30. So we've got tons, tons of in-person opportunities for people to get introduced to Jesus. And that excites me to no end. All right, now, let's deal with this. Let's deal with it. Yeah, yeah, let's give it up to Jesus. I, I wrote this. I wrote this sermon on Monday. All right, because I don't know. Some of you may or may not know. Like it's been kind of an exciting week at our house this week, uh, because grandbaby number four came Monday night at five fifty-five. Uh, yeah, we're excited about the yep, and everything's good there. Grandbaby number one had her eleventh birthday Friday, so we've been like. Like, it's been birthday central at our house this week. And so I told Dennis earlier in the week after staff meeting, I said, I got to get out of here. I got to write the sermon, and I'm out the rest of the week. I got to go be poppy the rest of the week. So I'd already written this sermon, every bit of it. And yesterday, about 1.30, I just knew that God was in this sermon because the opening illustration. Uh, some of you may or may not have been watching, you know, football uh, yesterday. And I know things are back to normal because I'm a disappointed UK football fan today. So things are getting back to normal. Uh, but this illustrates when I was a kid growing up in Lexington, there was there was this there was this referee that actually went to our church. He was an NFL referee. He went to Southland Church. And Tommy Bell was a really cool guy. He did Super Bowls. I mean, he was really one of the top referees in the NFL for years and years and years. And I love one of it. I mean, he told some great stories. But I love my favorite story. He told us about one day, these guys, they're locked, you know, you know how it is, Dan, if you ever watch football, some of you men played football, in the trenches, like it's down there, like with the lines, it's like a war, it's like a battle zone, right? And he said this one time that it's going and the play's over and they're kind of unpacking the pile and he looks down on the ground, and this is true, sir, he looks down on the ground and there's an eyeball laying there. You've never seen that. <laughs> and then this big offensive lineman reaches over, picks it up, pops it in his mouth, wets it, wipes it off, and pops it back in his eye socket. Nobody knew he had an artificial eye. And Tommy Bell said, I looked at him and said, son, <coughs> this is a violent game. You've already lost one eye. What are you going to do if something happens to the other one? The guy thought for a minute and said, I guess I'll be a referee like you. <laughs> now, yesterday, about 1.30, just before halftime, I felt like God had given me the most appropriate illustration to start a sermon ever. By the way, he did cross the goal line, for those of you who are watching, anyway. So, anyway, it does go with the sermon today. It does go with the sermon today because we are in this year-long series about how 2020, Final Vision, looking or, or, or the focus on Jesus. And this, this mini-series is about the final answer. And last week, we looked at this rich young ruler. Today, we're going to look at this guy named Bartimaeus. He's blind. 
He's this blind guy that we read about in Luke chapter 18. Now, here's the cool thing about this. I, it's one of the reasons that I love that we've got four Gospels, and that you can read, and a lot of the same stories appear in multiple Gospels. And I love that because you can get different perspectives. You can, it's like having multiple eyewitnesses at the scene, and you can get different perspectives. Because and it applies in this story, because Luke, if you've read this, or if you start reading this, his name's never mentioned. We, Luke doesn't mention his name. Mark in his gospel tells us the guy's name is Bartimaeus. Matthew in his version of the story says there were there were multiple blind guys that were there. Bartimaeus was just the one who spoke. And so Luke chooses in his version that we're studying this year, he chose to just talk about the guy who spoke. The, the one who spoke to Jesus, and it happened to be Bartimaeus. Now, Jesus, we're getting toward the end of Luke, and so the, the end of Jesus' life on earth is, is coming. And this is actually the beginning of his journey into Jerusalem for the very last time. Jerusalem's where it all hit the fan. It all went down. Uh, the arrest, the trial, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time and before the crucifixion and on his way to jerusalem he has to go through jericho jericho is the, the city is known as the city of palms it was out of there that they got some of the palms that they took for, in for the triumphal entry yada yada all that it's also the same city that in the old testament joshua uh, and the israelite army defeated and captured as they're getting ready to go into the promised land it's a, it's a city that they destroyed then, but then, uh, then Herod rebuilt the city late years, centuries later, built a fort and a really nice palace there. In history, a guy named Mark Anthony actually gave the city of Jericho to Cleopatra as a gift. So that's where we find ourselves historically as we want it. And, and as I said, last week we talked about this guy who was desperately seeking salvation. But Bartimaeus, all he's desperately seeking as we start the story, all he's desperately seeking is money. He's simply begging for money until he heard that Jesus was coming. Now, last week as we started into the series, I, I reminded you guys, remember Regis? Remember Regis and the question he always asked on who wants to be a millionaire? Everybody can ask the question, is that your final answer? And it was a really important question because up until you responded to that question, you could change your answer. You could change from A to B or C to D, or you could call, you could phone a friend, you could ask the audience, you could do all kinds of things. But once you said, that's my final answer, it's a wrap, it's done. That's what you're locked into, okay? And, and so it's really important because, because we got to ask ourselves some final questions. And today our final question is, what am I looking for? What am I looking for? See, Bartimaeus was looking for one thing and suddenly it changed to something else. So let's talk about this blind guy. And let me start by asking you, how's your vision? How's your vision? Now, unless, unless you've actually lost your sight, you really can't imagine what it's like to be blind. We try, and, we, and, and if we're ever around that, we say some really kind of dumb things. Like this lady. This lady that was walking down the street, and she saw this lame guy. This guy couldn't walk. He's on the street begging. And so she thought she was going to do something really nice. She thought she was going to try to cheer him up. And so she hands him a dollar and says, cheer up. Think how much worse it would be if you were blind. <laughs> really? That's what you're going to lead with? To which the guy responded, yeah, tell me about it. I tried being blind last week, but people kept giving me fake money. 
See, unless you're really blind, you can't understand. Bartimaeus isn't playing around, though. This is no joke. He's not pulling a con. He's, he's blind. And, and, and being blind is always difficult, but in Jesus' time, that would have been horrible. I, I mean, Jesus, there's no schools for the blind. There wasn't the Jericho School for the Blind or the Jerusalem School for the Blind. There were no books or scrolls written in Braille, even to the point that the disciples didn't get it. In John chapter 9, there's a story about Jesus and another blind guy, and the disciples actually asked Jesus, who sinned, that man or his parents, that caused him to be blind? Really? That's going to be your question? Because here's the reality. If sin caused you to be blind, guess what? We'd all be blind. But that was the understanding that something had to go terribly wrong. But, but maybe we are. Because I think there's this thing, not just physical blindness. I think there's a lot of people in our world that are suffering from spiritual blindness. See, there's a spiritual blindness in our world today. There's this horrible spiritual blindness in our world today that some people are afflicted by that causes them to believe that they can judge a person by the color of their skin. That's spiritual blindness. There's a spiritual blindness in our world today that allows some people to believe that it's okay to take the life of an unborn baby while it's still in his mother's womb. That's spiritual blindness. There's a spiritual blindness in our world today that thinks that we can just tell God to stay out of our world and then we complain about the chaos of our world. That's spiritual blindness. See, spiritually blind people can't see the Lord's will. They're so used to living outside of God's will that it's just become the norm. That They just live outside of the norm. They don't even realize how messed up their world is. You know, I even see, I, I spend far, far, far too much time on social media. I'm thinking about entering a 12-step program for social media for middle-aged men or whatever. But anyway, one of the things I see on social media, is I can't believe it. Every, it comes up every once in a while. And it's not like a meme or something. It's like people actually write this. They take the time on their computer or with their thumbs to, to write this. And I'll see them write, I'll see you in hell. Really? That's like your like predetermined destination for yourself? I'll see you? And it's because they're, they're so used to living outside the will of God that they're spiritually blind to what life should be like. It's like, you know, you can take a frog. You can take a frog, and you can throw it into a pot of water that's kind of lukewarm. And you know what? That frog will think he's like in a hot tub. He's in a sauna. He'll just swim around. It won't be any problem at all. And then you know that you can just leave that frog in the water, and he'll just swim around. And then you can grab the heat on the stove and just slowly, 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 slowly turn it up until he's boiled to death. I'm convinced there's a lot of people that's how they're living their life. They're swimming around in a cesspool of sin, and the water's just getting warmer and warmer and warmer, and they don't even realize it until they're boiled to death, until they're completely lost their life because they don't see the desperation in their situation. Romans eleven eight, God says, it says that God gave them a spirit of stupor. You know what a stupor is, right? God gave them the spirit of stupor, uh, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear. In other words, they didn't realize, and because they made choices, they didn't even realize how much trouble they were getting in. Spiritually blind people can't see their own destructive behavior. 
It's interesting that John chapter 1, when, it, when the, John chapter 1 is all about the light coming into the world, and John 1, 5 says the light shines in the darkness, and this light is Jesus, okay? It says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. In other words, Jesus is going to win. But then a couple chapters later in John three nineteen it says, the light Jesus has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They didn't want it. See, at most at, at our homes, you know, we live in we're okay compared to a lot of places in the world. In fact, probably in every one of your homes this morning, when you got up, it's really really cool in these homes. On on the wall, on the wall in your home, usually right inside the door, there's these little levers, and, and if you if you like flip the lever up, all of a sudden like there's a glow above your head. It's an amazing thing. If you flip the lever down, the glow goes away. On, it's, it's there, and, and it's like or some of you got really nice. You got the push-button ones, or some of you are really high-tech, and you can even do it on your phone and, and turn the lights on before you even get home, all right? But here's the deal. A lot of us, we, we love those lights. We love those lights because we don't like tripping over the piano bench when we come in to the dark house at night. But there's a lot of people living in the world today that are just, they're just satisfied never turning the light on. They would rather walk in and trip over the piano bench of sin in their life than have somebody shine light on it. And so they choose to live in darkness. They're spiritually blind. And, and, and spiritually blind people can't see the destiny of their path. You know, hurricanes, tornadoes, they're horrible things. You know, we've had hurricanes already this year, and it's caused all kinds of destruction. But in September of 1900, there was a hurricane that hit Galveston, Texas, that killed over 8,000 people. Now, remember, that's 120 years ago. Okay, it's 120 years ago. Killed 8,000 people. That's a huge number for 120 years ago. And, you know, why did those people die? Well, you say, well, they didn't know it was coming. Yeah, they did. Tornadoes, you don't know when they're coming. Hurricanes, you know when they're coming. All right? You may not have, you don't have to have Doppler radar. You know, the waves start getting really, really big. All right? Sign number one. And, and then the clouds start getting really, really dark. Sign number two. And, 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 then, and then it starts to rain. Sign number three. Somewhere in between sign number one and sign number four, you need to head inland. But they didn't. They just stayed there thinking, well, that's not going to come to me. It's not going to get this far. Kind of like, if you remember a few years ago when those tsunamis hit the Indian Ocean and, and some places were absolutely devastated? But we, there were video, there was video footage shot for like uh, upper level apartments and hotel rooms of people standing on the beach watching the waves come in and they just stood there. They just stood there thinking like somehow it's going to get to a certain point and it's just going to stop. It's not going to get me. It won't come this far until it was too late. See, that's the problem with spiritual blindness. We don't realize until it's too late. So what happens somewhere in there is you've got to see the need to change. And we're about to get into the actual story here because in this story, in Luke chapter 18, starting verse 35, Bartimaeus actually cried out for mercy. He saw that something needed to change in his life. Look in Luke chapter 18. 
in verse 35, starting in verse 35. Bartimaeus is there. It says, as he drew near, that's Jesus, he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. That's Bartimaeus. And so he's sitting there begging and hearing a crowd going by. He asked what was going on. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he immediately cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you see what happened there? In an instant, he went from crying for money to crying for mercy. Mercy's much greater than money. But, but it leaves us with a really important question. How did he know who Jesus was? He's a blind dude. How did he know? I've always heard that when you lose one of your senses, that the other senses kind of take over. They kind of get stronger. They kind of make up for the lost ground or whatever. And, and, and so you think of it, if you, you lose your hearing, your, your sight might get stronger, your sense of smell so that you can see and smell things that are around you. You know, that's like when you're hunting, animals are trying to sniff you. They're trying to smell even if they can't see you or hear you. And, then, and so this, so maybe, just maybe, this guy, because he couldn't see, his sense of hearing got stronger. And so for years, he's been sitting on the side of the road begging for money, but he's been hearing Jesus stories. People coming up and down the road talking about this guy, Jesus. And what a difference he's making in people's lives. And he's hearing all these Jesus stories. And now somebody says, this dude's coming. Jesus is coming down the road. And immediately he transitions from begging for money to begging for mercy. Now understand, a request for mercy isn't about adding something you want to your life. Asking for mercy assumes a much deeper need. Asking for mercy assumes that there's some kind of grief or wound that's still festering there. I need mercy. Uh, Asking for mercy assumes that there's some broken dream that still haunts. Uh, Asking for mercy assumes that there is some kind of shame that is still shackled and you want to be released from that. And so this guy starts asking for mercy. And he kept going despite opposition. Because look at verse 39. It says, and those who were in the front, in other words, the ones who had good seats, the, the ones who got the expensive tickets right up next to the road, the, the ones who were the elite that were close enough to be on the front row, the ones who were in the front, they say to him, they rebuke him, tell him to be quiet. In other words, shh, shh, keep, keep it down back there. We paid a lot of money to be right here. They didn't, they didn't pay money, but they had the good seats. They're in the front. And look what it says. I love it. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever felt like the whole world was against you when all you were trying to do was get help? And, and, and this guy's crying for help, and they're like, would you be quiet? You're going to mess up my, my selfie. You, you're going you're gonna to photobomb my selfie. You're going to get in the way of what I'm... Let, would you just be quiet back there? And, and, and this guy... <laughs> He kept crying loud. Remember, we talked about persistence in prayer a couple weeks ago. He just kept crying, not only crying, but crying louder, and it worked. It worked. Because look at verse 40. Jesus, what? He stopped, and he commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. He understood the need. There is an evangelist named Robert Sumner who wrote a book called The Wonder of the Word of God. And in that book, he tells a story about an explosion in Kansas City. And there was a guy that was, that was devastated in an explosion, but he survived. But in that explosion, he lost both of his hands. 
His, his, his front of his body, his face was disfigured and burned almost beyond recognition, but he survived. And, and Sumner tells about one of the most tragic parts of that is that as someone who survived, but he had just recently, before this all happened, became a Christian. And he loved reading the Bible and finding out about this guy, Jesus. He had just met this guy, Jesus, and now he couldn't read about Jesus anymore. And he was really upset. And, and he knew that Braille wouldn't work because he'd lost his hands. He couldn't figure out what to do. And, and then somebody told him about this lady who had learned to read Braille with her lips, touching the little bumps on her lips. And so he got a book of the Bible in Braille and tried to, but, but then he realized he'd lost all sense in his lips because of the fire. And so he's still in trouble. And then suddenly when he was trying to get it against his lips, he accidentally touched the page with his tongue. And the end of his tongue felt these funny bumps. And then he thought, maybe I can learn to read Braille with my tongue what would you do to be able to see jesus this this guy when sumner wrote this this book about this guy he had already read the bible through four times with his tongue what length would you go to he started schools to help teach children how to read braille blind children how to read braille with their tongue what length would you go to to hear about jesus and share jesus with other people that needed to hear about him but couldn't and see this guy knew this guy knew that he needed healing i i really love this week reading all the different gospel accounts of this story mark's gospel account is really it's really funny i found this humorous it, it says it's in mark chapter 10 and and here's what mark said he said when jesus said bring him to me it says that this guy throwing his cloak aside he jumped to his feet and came to the sound of jesus voice now i found that humorous because First of all, the blind guy jumped up and didn't fall. Then the, the blind guy jumped and threw his coat away. Because a blind guy wouldn't throw his coat away. Because if a blind guy throws his coat off to the side, guess what? He might not be able to find it again. But it was as if this guy knew something was about to change. It was as if in that moment when Jesus said, come here, he said, this coat doesn't matter. And if I throw it over there, I'm about to get to the point in my life where I can see where I threw my coat. And I'll go over and pick it up because something's about to change. This guy anticipated. He heard the stories. He believed the stories. And he called out for mercy. And Jesus says, come to me. What do you want me to do? This guy knew something was about to change. And a lot of us today pray and pray and pray. And God, do this, do this, do this. And we don't ever expect nothing to change. And we're still holding on to our coats. We're still holding on to our past life. Because I want to be sure I'm okay in case Jesus doesn't do it. In case Jesus doesn't take care of it. This guy jumps to his feet. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. See, they, he gave praise to God for trans, transformation. Not like the lepers that we heard about a few weeks ago. The ten lepers that came and asked for, asked for healing and Jesus healed them. And nine of them never came back and said thank you. This Bartimaeus, he couldn't say thank you enough. He couldn't say thank you enough. We sing a song about that. I want to retitle this song that we sing, Bartimaeus' song, Bartimaeus' song. Because in the song, here's what we sing. We sing these words, how can I praise you enough? 
That's what Bartimaeus was saying. How can I praise you enough? You're the Lord Almighty, outshining all the stars in glory. It's like, imagine, imagine Bartimaeus seeing the stars for the first time. That's what's going on here. He said, I can't praise you enough. And all the other people praised him as well. So that's Bartimaeus' story. It was his question of changing. Lord, I need mercy. What's he really looking for? I, I think we need to finish this morning. We're almost done. It's time for some honest evaluation. And to do this, here's what I want to do. I want to give you four questions and we're done. I want you to write these down in your Bible or on a notepad or I want you to type them in your phone or just take a picture of the screen, okay? Because I want every one of us to deal with these four questions. They're critical that we deal with these four questions. Here's question number one. What's your greatest need? Right now, what's your greatest need? What is it in your life right now that you would say is your greatest need? Now, I want to help you out a little bit. If you came this morning and on your way driving in, if somebody were to have stopped you and, and asked you to define yourself or describe yourself, and if you wouldn't have said, I'm a Christian, your greatest need is Jesus. The, the world might have told you it was something else. The world might have told you you need money. Or you might be so sick that the world might have told you that your greatest need is health. Or that you need a perfect spouse. They don't exist. Or that you need peace. It's not ever going to happen until Jesus comes back. Or that you need recovery from your addiction. It is possible. But none of those things are possible without Jesus. None of those things. Nothing else compares to Jesus. i got to hurry on. The second question. What are you doing about it? See, based on what the world convinces you is your greatest need, we tend to respond based on what the world has said. In other words, if, somebody, if, if the world's convinced you your greatest need is money, what are you going to do? Well, you've got a couple of choices. You might just rob somebody, or you might decide to do something legal, and you might just work really, really hard to make as much as you can. And so I need to ask you, are you working every hour you possibly, possibly, possibly can to make as much money as you possibly, possibly, possibly can? I've got news for you. Satan loves that. Because if he can distract you with work and money, he's got you. Are, are, are you trying to maybe maybe the, are you trying to deal with that secret sin all by yourself? You don't want to turn the lights on because you don't want anybody else to know it, and you really don't want to even see it yourself. Are you trying to deal with whatever you're trying to deal with? Are you trying to do it alone? I got news for you. Satan loves that. Or maybe, maybe there's this like sick, empty feeling in your gut, and you don't really know what it is. You haven't really defined it yet. It's just that life's not right. There's something missing. And so you're trying to do everything the world says to do to fill that hole, to fill that emptiness. You're, you're just trying to stuff whatever the world has to offer. You're trying to. I got news for you. Satan loves that. Because, you see, we have to realize that we can't do it alone. There's so many things that have gone wrong in the pandemic. But one of the things that really bothers me the most, and, and I, I said earlier, I talked about how great it is, all the online stuff we have, and it's wonderful and it's awesome. It's kept us connected. But one of the things that really is concerning to me is I'm seeing so many people now say, well, I don't ever need the church anymore because I can sit right here in my pajamas. I can fix breakfast. I can eat pancakes. I can do this and that. I don't even need to go back. I don't need the church. 
I love that we can get into your homes and to people's homes. I love that. But I promise you this, we can never, even with all the thousands of dollars of lights and sound, we can't recreate the energy that you feel when you come into the presence of a holy God with his people together to worship. And, 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 and here's the bigger problem. Here's the bigger problem. And, and it was like this week, it just was like a revelation to me. It was like this, this God, thank you for showing me that. We got we to share that. Here's the bit. I've read all of this. I've read every bit of it. And you know what it tells me in here? That when this is all over and Jesus comes back, when he comes back the next time, guess who he's coming for? The Bible says he's coming for his bride. He's the bridegroom that is coming for his bride. And guess who his bride is? His bride is the church. Nowhere in there does it say that Jesus is coming back for all the guests that choose to show up at the wedding every once in a while. He says he's coming back for his bride. Don't tell me you don't need the church. And I get it. The church is in the walls. The church is in the walls. But we got to have the church because we got to have family to help us. We can't do it alone. So that's what are you doing about it? Man, I'm glad, glad you guys are awake this service, man. I'm, I've been waiting for that all day. Thank you. <laughs> Third question. I'm going to finish, I promise. Are you willing to ask for help? This is a hard one. This is, a, this is where the rubber really hits the road. Because for some reason, it just comes down to swallowing our pride. It comes down to swallowing our pride. In our community recovery program that we do here, a couple weeks ago, I was leading that. And I, we were talking about why we don't ask for help. And so I, I gave everybody that was there at the meeting, I gave them a, a white index card. And I asked them to write down five names of people that they trusted completely. But they had to be five people. I said, here, pick out five people who know your story. Who, knew, who know everything about They know enough. They got enough dirt on you to bury you. But you know they won't. Five people you trust like that. And so we wrote down the names. I said, do you have all their phone numbers? And almost everybody said, yeah, I've already got all those phone numbers. I've already got all those people. Okay, so you've got those people. You've got those five people in your life. You've got their phone number. You know how to get a hold of them. You trust them completely. So when you're in trouble, why don't you call them? And it was kind of just like that. And then we started talking about it. And you know what the number one answer was? The number one answer from these people was because we've already made up our mind what we're going to do and we don't want nobody trying to talk us out of it. And those people on that list, they'll try to talk us out of it instead of helping us do it. See, we can't do it alone. We've got to have some people. We've got to be willing to ask for help. We can have all the digits in the world, and if we're not willing to call those people and ask those people, we aren't going to get any help. And here's the last question then. When you finally do that, you know what your greatest need is, and you're willing to do something about it, and you're willing to ask for help, then are you willing to accept the help? See, I think part of the struggle for many of us is that our cry for help is a cry, get me out of here not help me out of here. It, 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 our, our government has led us that way. Our society has taught us to go for the quick fix, the immediate solution, the automatic bailout, instead of being willing to do the hard work with someone else's assistance, someone helping us get there. See, when we cry out to Jesus, we have to understand that his answer may not be our answer. 
that his way may not be our way. But in the end, it's far better to teach a man to fish for a lifetime than to give him a fish for a day. And that's what we've got to work toward. So that leaves us with the big question. What are you looking for today? Like Bartimaeus, well, we can have the deepest need of our lives met, but here's the catch. I want to make sure you get this and you don't leave. I missed it. Last time, one more time. Bartimaeus' greatest need wasn't his sight. Don't miss that. Bartimaeus' greatest need was Jesus. You know how cool God is? Let me tell you how cool God is. I wrote this sermon Monday. We planned this sermon 10 months ago. We planned this sermon. We planned all of our sermons way in advance. We planned this. So 10 months ago, we knew that on September 27, 2020, we were going to preach this sermon about this guy named Bartimaeus. After first service today, I got to pray with a guy who was here for his very first time. Today was his very first Sunday here, and I got to stand right back there and pray with him. Guess what? He's blind. Don't tell me God ain't real. Don't tell me God ain't working. Don't tell me God ain't moving. And so I don't know what it is that you came with today. What is it that, that, that your greatest need? But I'm telling you, there is a God that loves you, and he wants to create revival in your life and in our community's life. Would you guys stand with me? Ethan's going to lead us in this last song. As we sing this song, Jason's down here, Dwight's down here, uh, Kim's around. we got some other people that would love, love, love to pray with you, to lead you in that decision to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you don't want to talk with somebody else. Maybe you just want to come up and kneel and pray while we sing this song. But I want us to sing this song as a request, as a prayer to God. God, would you bring revival into my life and into our world because our world needs it right now. Come on, let's do something while we sing.
Thank you, God, for what you're doing. 
Man, I'm so glad you guys are here today. If this is your first time ever here today, uh, as soon as service is over, go out those doors. There's a huge orange wall, white letters on it, says I'm new. We got a special gift for you out there. Uh, we got some folks back in the next step room that would love to help you figure out what's your next step to get connected here. Congratulations. You are a part of the largest non-Easter 1130 service that we've ever had. So congratulations uh, for being here for that. And one last thing, and then we're going to go. Uh, Dwight Meadows. The chairman of our elders has a really quick announcement for you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, You may or may not know, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And it's an opportunity for us to join together and show our appreciation to Dave and the staff here. And I just want to tell you uh, all that they've gone through this year, uh, going through government hoops and hurdles to... uh, keep the doors open so that we can come face to face. That's been an awesome job. And that's in addition to what they normally do. So this year in particular, I would like for us to really have an outpouring of appreciation. And I've got three ways that you can do that. The first is, is my first P, I call it, and that's for prayer. Now... I get a little emotional. But Dave mentioned a while ago some of the things that Satan would love. And the staff and Dave and their families, you can bet that they're on a hit list. So I just ask that you pray a little little extra hard for them. That, uh, that God would build a hedge around them and their families. The second one's a lot lighter. It's sending a postcard. It's called Postal. Second P is for Postal. So you can send a postcard with a little handwritten note. And believe it or not, in this day of uh, age of texting and all of that, people still like getting a little little card with just a very short note in there. So that would be postal. And the third way is purchase. And what we do every year is we buy gift cards, and they can be in any amount for any vendor, any, any restaurant or whatever. But, uh, and you can get more than one if you want. So what we'd like to do is fill these white buckets. There's a few of them around the room. We would like to fill them up with uh, gift cards. And at the end of October, they will be uh, taken downstairs and and divvied up among all the staff. And so if you feel that you can help in that way, that would be a great show of appreciation as well. But just go, go and remember the three Ps, prayer, 